All right. So, hey, everybody, John Troutman, another episode of Truth or Comfort. I have Mitch Nelson on today. Thank you for joining us today, Mitch. I appreciate your time. I'm excited to have you on here. Been trying to work with you forever. We've, I, uh, you guys have a lot of respect for Mitch. I um, went out, met with, gosh, it's been about three years now, right? Since I met, we met. Yeah, it's been a minute. And some of the stuff that, Mitch is doing and has done just blew my mind just watching uh, how creative and financing you are, you know, the way that you manage deal, deal flow. Like it's, I hadn't met anybody doing the stuff that you're doing. So I'm excited to talk to you about this today. You guys, Mitch um, has a a couple YouTube sites. We'll go through that at the end here, but just um, so people could, you know, follow you, uh, log on, check out some of uh, your guys' educational stuff. But also uh, your website, but more importantly, like he's a best-selling author, Mindset to Millionaire. Mindset to Millionaire. Uh, yeah, awesome book. Um, what drove you to, to write that book? I'm just curious. Oh, man, it was a chain of events, and I can go into it if you'd like me to. I, uh, um, you know, it started- well, I think the topic, and this is just for whatever it's worth, um, the mindset piece is so critical in real estate. I mean, we just had Raphael on uh, episode and he's huge into mindset. And prior to that, I mean, everybody's talked about mindset in real estate, which is kind of ironic, right? Like it's the mindset, this piece of real estate is probably the most fertile and most important. So I'm going to let you talk about it, please. I'd love to hear it. Absolutely. And it's, and and that's it. Right. That's the key. What you nailed it. It's mindset first. Um, I was 27 years old. I was working a job selling websites. I was going small business to small business, mm-hmm. trying to peddle website services uh, for the company I was working for, making 40 grand a year, living in a two bedroom apartment um, at 27 years old. Average American should have been happy, but but I wasn't. And and I think it's because I had these lofty goals that I had set my, for myself in my early 20s. Of, you know what, by the time I'm 30, I want to be a millionaire. And by the time I'm 35, I want to make a million dollars in a calendar year, right? Mm-hmm. And here I was 27 years old, much closer chronologically to that to that goal than I was financially. Uh, and I didn't know where to turn. I mean, I, nobody in my, in my industry that I was working in was making that kind of money. And so I, I knew I had to make a radical change. And so what I decided to do was I decided to start studying wealthy people. So mm-hmm. I picked up every every book that I could find that was either written by or written about uh, millionaires or billionaires, right? I, I mean, Rich Dad, Poor Dad was one of the first books I read, all the Napoleon Hill books. Right. Um, you know, I read uh, the Walter Isaacson's biog- biography of Steve Jobs. Um, and and I, I got addicted to this study. I, I started, I, I remember I went to Target and I bought like a handful, like seven composition notebooks, just a line paper, right? And I started taking notes furiously. And I didn't know what I was looking for. Like when I first started this study, I'm like, there's something in here. It was like panning for gold, right? And so I just started writing down everything. Like, okay, Steve Jobs eats Wheaties for breakfast. Maybe that's the key. I don't know, you know. Yeah. And, and so I just, just started filling these things. And before I knew it, I had filled the seven composition notebooks and I had scrap paper and legal pads and napkins and stuff that I was writing notes on. And uh, I realized, you know, I, I, I've done the study part, right? I've done the extracting the information. Now I need to go back through the information, read through my notes and figure out, okay, what, what is the secret sauce? And as I started whittling it down, um, 
I started to realize, you know, wealthy people are just the same as everybody else. I mean, they've, they've got fears and they've got, you know, they're, they're happy sometimes and they're sad sometimes and they have to breathe air and they've got 24 hours in a day and they're hungry sometimes, you know, and, but, but there was one major thing that, 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 um, that, that divided the two groups. And I came to call them the employee mindset and the wealthy mindset. And that was just that the way they think their mindset. Mm. Right. It, that was the only thing is what was going on up here that was different between a poor person and a rich person. Uh, and so, you know, my through that editing process, my my notes became a 180 page paper and my my paper uh, turned into a book. And, you know, when I first published my book, it's actually self-published on Amazon. Oh, wow. Um, just on Kindle. When I first published it, my thought was, you know, I've done all this work. It'd be fun for, you know, my mom and my mom and dad and my, you know, some of my close friends to kind of see what I've been up to. Um, but in the first four weeks or so, it took off. Uh, oh, wow. it, went, it went number one bestseller in four categories on Amazon in 2015 um, and stayed there for weeks. So uh, that's really, honestly, John, that's what got me into coaching was when I wrote my book and, and the success that it had, um, it gave me this, uh, this sense of, of accomplishment or this sense of, you know, almost like a high of helping other people uh, yeah. kind of come to the same realization that I did. And, uh, you know, that, that's what really the, the major thing that set me on the path to I want to share this information with people. Um, and eventually what led to us sharing this information for free and just putting it on, on YouTube, you know, we got a great beginners course for real estate investors, which includes our mindset training, uh, that's on our YouTube channel. Yeah. Well, isn't that the purpose of, of life is to find your passion and then give your passion away as in whatever form that is. Right. Yeah. So to some degree, I know we have to make a living, but as long as you're passionate about it and you know, obviously you you've helped a lot of people as well. I mean, just thinking of, um, the creative stuff that you you've done, like your, your speed banking, for example, is unlike anything else to me. That's like revolutionary, right? Yeah. Is, do you have that on your, your, one of your channels? We do. Yeah. It's on the flipping sexy real estate education channel. The education so, one. Okay. Yeah. So it's yeah. just youtube.com slash flipping sexy real estate education. And, uh, yeah, I mean, speed banking is awesome, man. It's yeah. I, I want people to watch it. So we'll post a link to this, you guys, so you guys could see it. But th that is like a, in my opinion, that's a game changer, right? I haven't yeah. seen, I haven't seen it presented anything quite like that. Right. And then once you see it, you're like, yeah, Okay, I need to watch yeah. that again. <laughs> so. No, it's it, it's an it's an awesome thing, and it's one of those. That there's, you know, I, I think we've got kind of like two different type of light bulb moments. Mm -hmm. You know, when you when you learn something and a light bulb goes on, there's the I never would have thought of that on my own, and there's the why didn't I think of that before? Right, right, and that's that's kind of the light bulb that went off for me when I first learned that strategy. Um, it, it came to me in a different package, and I, I kind of applied it to what I do. Uh, and have retaught it, uh, I think, in a, in a more comprehensive way. But um, it, what's interesting about it is as you look at, at banking, um, you know, a lot of people don't think about a bank being a business. But you go into any major city. I mean, you're in Phoenix. I'm in Salt Lake City. Go, go anywhere in, in the country. The biggest buildings 
whose names are on the biggest buildings. Yeah, all the banks. The, the banks, right? Uh, Chase, Wells Fargo, uh, you know, they're, they're, it's one of the biggest businesses in the world, if not the biggest business in the world. Um, there's a lot of money in it. And people don't think of their bank as being a business. They think, you know, my bank's there to help me. Um, which, you know, I, capitalism, I mean, there's a certain level of we look out for our customers, right? But, but also, uh, you are the bank's customer and they right. want to make as much money as they can off of you. So the way that they've structured banking, and this is, they've got a 200-year track record. I mean, they've, they've been able to develop this perfect machine that just funnels money. Um, you know, things like savings accounts and checking accounts. If you really dig into it, these are uh, the, the least profitable, least useful thing, tools for us. Mortgages, car loans. Uh, there's a reason they call it a car loan. They want you to get that, that loan uh, in particular when you're buying a car. Not because it's best for you but because it's best for them, it's going to make them the most money. Right. Uh, so as you start digging into this stuff, you start to realize, well, the bank's just recommending everything that's going to make them money, which means it's costing me money. So there has to be a better way to do my banking that's going to save me more money in the long run. And that's really what speed banking is at its core, is understanding the banking process and how that applies to you as a, as a, the bank's customer. Um, and, and it, you know, we don't ask the right questions. We weren't taught to ask the right questions in elementary school, middle school, and high school. So we just trust whatever the bank tells us to do. And, and usually that's going to be, you know, to their best benefit. Yeah. Well, I think that it's revolutionary and I do think people should um, watch it. So we'll, we will put, put a link over to your guys' YouTube channel. And yeah, you guys, you got to watch this. I, we could spend the entire episode on that. So please click over and watch it after this. But Maybe okay. Maybe we What's that? Maybe we should have a speed banking episode one day. We, we absolutely should. Um, we could do it on the next one. How about that? <laughs> there you go. I love okay. it. Let's, um, so back to like you got the book going. I want people to understand because we kind of uh, brushed over this. Yes, you, you're doing education and you help people and you're mentoring them, but you are doing deals. So I want to come circle back on that because we kind of just – you went into extracting the information and then the book and coaching. I want people to understand like Mitch is crushing it in the real estate space. Like he's how many deals do you have currently working single family? Um, just fix and flips. We have 11 going on right now. Yes. That's um, a, so many right now during this pandemic, <laughs> like with it's like hurting cats and yeah. trying to source product is, has been fun too. And those that yeah. are in this space that are watching this know how difficult it is to get any and everything right now. So yeah, kudos, to, kudos to you for taking on 11. And uh, I know you're going to crush it on all of them. So good I job. It. It's a good market right now, right? I mean, we were, you know, uh, historically going back to the beginning of my career, I'd say, you know, we average maybe forty or fifty thousand dollars. I don't know, I haven't figured out the exact number, but but I would say off the top of my head, maybe forty or fifty grand in profit uh, on each deal, and they take us, you know, four to six months to do. Um, we just looked at all of the properties we're holding. Just one of them right now has, and it's, this is a single family home, but because of what the market's been doing, and we're we're about to list this thing, we're almost done with it. Uh, there's two hundred and thirty thousand dollars in profit on this. Yeah, deal. that's awesome. And it was less than a hundred grand when we bought it, right? It was supposed to be a home run at like ninety five thousand in profit, and now, now we're up to two, now it's two and a half home runs. 
<laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's awesome. Well, congratulations. I, I think, yeah, getting these on the market, getting them turned and getting that, that money back in your coffers and then redeploy for whatever project. You touched on something. You talked about profit. We uh, sourced a handful of questions that come in and I saved some for you. So I hope you don't mind that I put you on. Uh, it's just funny that you picked those words, but how, this is the question that came in. How to calculate profit on a fix and flip. So how do you, how do you determine that? Yeah. I, I, and I'm not trying to put you on the spot, but I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. No, not at all. I, I, I love the questions. Okay. Um, so something I told you, you know, about my study when I was uh, studying wealthy people. And one of my favorite books that I read was actually one of the first ones that I read. And that was Rich Dad, Poor Dad mm. by Robert Kiyosaki. I, I love that book. And, you know, being in the education space, I compete with him a little bit now, but, um, but I still think he's, I don't know, think he's doing it anymore. What's that? I think he's retired officially. Is so. he retired? Well, I good think for so. him. Yeah. Um, but uh, he, he said, always pay yourself. People forget to pay themselves. And that, that stuck out to me for some reason. I, I, I think about that quote all the time and I built it into my system of how I analyze properties. So I've, I've created what's called the deal spotter system. And this, I actually have a whole class on this system. They can, they can check it out if they want to. It's uh, on the off market deals on tap class in our flipping sexy real estate education channel on YouTube. Um, I go over the deal spotter system and it's just a simple five-step system to help us decide uh, with, you know, which deals we're going to do and which deals we aren't. And it's interesting. I almost say no to as many deals as I get told no on, you know, like we're approaching a homeowner and we throw them a price and they'll say, nah, that's too low. You know, see you later. I'm doing that almost on as many as I'm, I'm getting no's on. Uh, and it's because this system keeps me safe. Um, so step one, just real quick, I'll run through it and then I'll, I'll dive uh, deeper into the, into the specific question. But step okay. one is lead gen. Um, you know, we're focused on the low hanging fruit, the ones that, um, that are basically willing to sell. That's step one. We contact the homeowner. Are you willing to sell? Yes. Perfect. You go in the yes bin, all the no's. We put them you know, back in circulation for a later day. Um, we only, you don't want to put too much effort into something, you know, trying to convince somebody there's tons of low hanging fruit out there. Step two is our quick analysis. That's where we run our numbers. That's where that decision is made. Then if the numbers check out that we make an offer, by the, your quick analysis should tell you what your offer price is. Then we go into long analysis, which is like our inspection, our, you know, our due diligence, that kind of stuff. And then step five is follow through by the deal, right? Or don't buy the deal. Right. Um, but, uh, but, but it's all pretty, uh, you know, pretty straightforward. I, I don't have to make any gut decisions on anything. It's all numbers. But in my quick analysis, how I analyze these properties, I mean, really, I can do it in 60 seconds or less. We start with our after repair value. What are we going to be able to sell this thing for when, uh, you know, when we're done? Um, then we uh, start subtracting all of our costs. But first, we subtract our profit. Now, I always start with my minimum desired profit. You got to decide what it's going to be worth to you to go out and, and do a fix and flip project. Cause I can, I can tell you, you know, this John, they're not easy, right? right. They're, and they're, they're rarely, um, fun's the wrong word because I have a lot of fun with them, but, but they're, I mean, it's the same. Yeah, they're demanding but, they take time. So you got to make sure you, your time is rewarded with compensation. Yeah, right. yeah. My dad was giving me a hard time the other day cause I'm 35 and I'm already starting to get gray in my beard. And I was joking what? with him. One of those, 
each one of those gray hairs has a fix and flip associated with it. That's, right? that's why I have. So, that's why I keep it clean. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, it's it's a stressful thing, but it's worth it. And for me, you know, that number started out early on in my career at thirty grand, and then it climbed. You know, slowly. Right now, we won't do a deal for less than fifty grand. Right. But we decided that up front, right? So um, we pay ourselves first. That's the first thing. I start with that after repair value of what will I be able to sell this for when it's all fixed up. I subtract my 50000 right off the top. Then I subtract my just kind of a guesstimate of what I'm going to be spending on it in construction. Then I subtract my, my selling costs and my holding costs, you know, my agent fees and my hard money interest and, and all those things. And that equation should give you that purchase price. So, um, you know, just subtracting all those things, I always tell my students, it doesn't matter what the asking price is. It doesn't matter. It does, and, and never order an appraisal when you're buying a fix and flip because that doesn't matter either. It's math. Either, either they're going to accept the number that you need to buy that house for or they're not and you move on. Right. Right. So so paying yourself first is important. Now, I will say, um, you know, because your, your listeners are probably like, didn't you just say you've got a deal you're going to make 230 on? Like, did we put that 230 in up front? No, we didn't. We have a, you know, there's a few factors uh, that 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 help you get that number up in certain deals. Um, but my goal is, I, you know, I, I just want to hit base hits. If I can't right. keep hitting base hits, that money will keep coming in. And if every now and then I get a double or a triple or a home run or in this case a grand slam, uh, you know, it 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 it's awesome. It's a bonus, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, so I always use that minimum profit number now. You, you've got factors like the market. Right now, the market's going crazy. If it takes us five, six months to uh, to do a flip, we'll make an extra fifty or sixty thousand dollars. Now, that that's not a forever thing. You can, and you can't bank on that. I never I never factor that into my analysis. But again, it's just a little bonus that we get if you know if the market's doing well. Right. Uh, and that's been the case for maybe the last six months. And I don't know I don't know when, it, when it's going to change, but I hope not soon. Yeah. Um, at least 11, 11 flips soon. Yeah, right. <laughs> Let me get through these first, yeah, right? I'm well, that, that brings up a good point that we can talk about in a second, and that is always have a backup plan because I can't control the market. I know, I know you. I know you do that, and yeah. that, which goes back to the speed banking, right? So, but we could talk more about that. Let's let's keep it moving, though. Yeah, we are going to circle back on that because I think it's important for people to understand that, and then we have one more. Uh, loaded question to that I'm going to ask you from uh, a couple of viewers. So, okay. Final thought on this question, though. One of the one of the other ways that we get our our profit up throughout the deal is, you know, I talked about that deal spotter system. Step one, lead gen. Step two, quick analysis where we're running our numbers. That's what I've been talking about. Step three, we make the offer based on the math. Whatever that number is that our math, that's the offer we make. They either accept it or they don't. Right. So we move on to step four, which is long analysis. This is my favorite part. This is where I turn my singles into double tri doubles, triples, and home runs, and I have a little more control over this. Every problem we find in a property, you know, when you think about red flags in real estate investing, most amateurs would think red flags means run away, right? right? I love problems because I can take other people's problems uh, in a house that I'm looking at buying, and I can mark them up, right? Right. So if they've got mold, and I know it's going to cost me three grand to get rid of the mold. I'll say, hey, you got mold. I need six grand off the purchase price, right? right? And so that that helps me. And I take every problem and I mark it up. Usually, you know, whatever whatever is fair and reasonable. Um, sometimes double, sometimes twenty five percent. Yeah, I mean, your cost is because you do mass volume is going to be able yeah. to be much less than if they went. You know, they probably are going to be on 
at least six grand on something like that. Right. So, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I, you know, I don't, people, people say all the time, wasn't that taking advantage? No, because I'm, I'm basically taking over that problem and now I have to fix it. Right. So there's value in that, right? Yeah. And why so, should you do it at cost? Your time's still yeah, worth something. Exactly. I mean, you're still Unfortunately, I can't run, run this business as a charity, right? Well, and something just real quick, I want to touch on before you go too far. And that's this, you guys in fix and flips, like you have to put that hat on that you have to fix these problems. A lot of people don't don't address them, but it's not just the mold factor. It could be your layout. It could be, you know, something was done wrong or poorly before structurally elect from electrical plumbing, the roof, you name it. Like whenever I walk a property or I'm on a property, I'm thinking I have to fix this. And as you're working on it, problems come up and you're like, look, I could, I could, do this and fix it the easy way, or I could fix it the right way. The right way will always pay you so much more because it's kind of like, um, there's still going to be little issues. I've never seen an inspection not have issues, but you know, if you could take some of those issues off the plate before they're even an issue, right? Because they, each one's, a, um, I would say a seed of doubt in the new buyer's mind, right? So if you have some bigger ones in there, just try to take as many off the plate as possible so people don't have doubt in your product. Plus, it just says a lot about you. And you're, if you're doing, like, I imagine most of your deals are there in the Salt Lake area. So realtors start to know your product and what you're putting out. And if you put out a good product, they know you've already addressed the issues and it's taken care of it. So you, have, you get a good reputation for doing it versus kind of just glazing over it and calling it a day. People know what kind of product you put out. Anyways, I just wanted to yeah. touch on that real quick. It's a small industry, man. Your reputation follows you around. Right? Mm -hmm. I've seen in the 10 years I've been doing this, I've seen guys come and go. And, you know, if you don't have integrity, that's one of the quick ways to get booted out of the, out of the, uh, the community. Right. But, yeah. Um, yeah. You gotta, you gotta build a product that that's reliable, that's quality uh, and the people want. Right. Well, if you just had someone buy or someone just bought a house from you, they're kind of your best salesperson. And we could be doing a product or another build down the street. And they are like, hey, if you need me to come talk to any potential buyers, like, let me know. I'd love to talk to them. I mean, they're, if you do it right, they're your biggest fan. Like if someone's on the fence, because let's face it, the market's crazy right now, but that's not how it always is. Yeah. You know, and so couple things. One, you want to just do things right, regardless of the market. Two, um, doing things right can pay uh, dividends with your, you know, new buyer to the next new buyer or so on. And obviously agents as well will reach out and ask if you got product available before it's even online, which is another huge thing. So there's just a lot of reasons. Uh, and not to mention, like, it's a small world. Like you're saying, more importantly than all that, I, I would hate to run into someone that I did wrong on a house and I'm at dinner, you know what I mean? Like yeah. the people that I see that I've, that have bought my houses are like, you know, it's always nice seeing them out. Right. Versus I feel bad for the people that do it wrong. Like might as well just move. <laughs> yeah. Well, and they eventually do. Right. I mean, you can't, you can't, you don't last very long if you, if you don't have that. Yeah. Which goes back to how we started this conversation, you know, be proud of what you do. Like what, if you like what you do, it shows in your product anyways. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I don't know if we finished that. 
Did we finish it? I just kind of yeah, said I, I think so. So the question was uh, how to calculate profit, right? Yeah. And and the short answer is I I just always factor in my minimum profit that I'll take on a deal, and if it goes up, great. But I won't take less than that. So Even you'll if, you'll um, you'll have your AR you'll have your ARV, and then you, you what you've calculated for yourself, which is fifty thousand, mm-hmm. and then all your other fixed costs like commissions or you know, holding costs and things like that. And, and you're using your gauge kind of of what your rehab's going to cost, right? And then your purchase price. So you calculate all that. Those are, that's your, your model, correct? Yeah. Okay. So we could, we could, we could bullet point that here too and make sure that people got that so they could write it down. Okay. It's interesting. I passed up on deals that I, there was like $48,000 in profit, right? Yeah. Um, but, but it's because I know there's, there's always problems. There's always some package, some surprise package inside yeah. of every flip and flip. That's just, yeah. you know, waiting to jump out and bite you. Yeah. And that costs, you know, that, that eats up your profit. Your profit's kind of your slush fund as well. Right. So, so I know if I plan for 50, um, and it looks like I'm going to get 50, I wasn't able to raise that at all. Um, I might end up with 40, 45, just cause there's always something, right. Always. So, I'd hate to say, you know, to compromise and be like, well, I'll just do one where all I make is 20. Could just and be then, it sat on the a market an extra month or exactly. two. Yep. You know, there yeah. it just starts to whittle it away. Yeah. Yep. Something came up on an inspection that you didn't anticipate. Now you're exactly. anyway, it could be so many different things. Yeah. All right. Here's a, the next question. Um, how to flip a house on a budget, which I hope that people are setting budgets, right? But how to flip a house on a budget. Uh, or with bad credit, right? And or with bad credit. So um, those are kind of two questions. I'm going to let you. Um, well, I got the same answer for both questions. Okay, so, good. There um, you go. And it's it's kind of a multifaceted answer. So we'll we'll dive into it a little bit here. But okay. um, so if you got bad credit and no money, how do you get into this? Well, sounds a lot like 27 year old me. Uh, and the answer yeah. is don't use your money or your credit. Um, in fact, even to this day, you know, fix and flips, they're, they're kind of what I'm known for. And, uh, you know, it's, I think it's a sexy thing because of all the, uh, the TV shows that have, you know, do the reality fix and flip thing. Um, but, but it's not my primary strategy. I, I buy rentals cause that's my ultimate retirement thing is I'm going to be living off a of cash flow, you know, when I'm 90, I'm not gonna be flipping homes when I'm 90. Right. right. But I'll own a portfolio of rentals. Um, and I actually talk about this in my book, chapter five, I talk about the difference between an asset that pays you once and then you have to do it again versus an asset that pays you over and over and over and over again. Right. And that's the difference between flips and rentals. But, um, because it's not my primary investment strategy, I don't like to put my own money at it. If I've got extra money and I'm going to throw it at something, it's going to be my primary strategy. It's going to be focused on my retirement, right. And increasing my cash flow. Um, so, so I don't like to use my own money on flips. In fact, I never have, uh, I like to use other people's money. Right. And I remember when I was 2013, I was just a brand new real estate investing student. I'd spent $20,000 on education money. I didn't have, I put it all on credit cards, by the way. So, you know, it had to work. Luckily it did. Uh, I remember hearing that for the first time and thinking who in their right mind is going to give me enough money to go buy a house. Right. But but it's interesting because it's we think of asking people for money in terms of a handout or charity. And it's not that 
this is this is an opportunity to partner up and go make money together. Right. And the, kind, the kinds of returns that I'm seeing, I mean, well, I don't use my own money, so my return's infinite, right? Which is the best kind of return you can have. Yeah. Yes. Um, but but you know, I I usually do three or four partners on a deal, and they'll each bring. Uh, you know, thirty, forty thousand dollars a piece, um, maybe through their from their retirement account, or maybe they have a HELOC on their house, or maybe they just have that money in cash saved up, you know, in their bank account. Um, but when we show them the numbers, uh, when when you sit down and say, "Look, we're going to make fifty grand," and if the five of us split this, you know, five different ways, not necessarily equal ways, but five different ways based on what you bring it bring to the table, you know, we're each going to make ten thousand bucks in in uh, um, you know, in four or five months. That's right. awesome. And if you can stack those and do, you know, multiple at a time and, and keep that flowing throughout the year, that's a really good living that you can make off of doing this uh, and without any capital of your own. Which which brings me into um, what I refer to as the debt equity blend. And the debt equity blend really, if I were to pick one thing that is like the keystone of my business, it's, it's the debt equity blend. It's how I structure money on deals. Yeah, I think we just need to set the, the stage here, you guys. This is like a very, this is something very unique to to you, Mitch. Like I haven't seen anybody else sharing. Yeah, yeah, no, this is, this is what, it's very unique. And so I just wanna set the stage. Like if you're listening to this and doing something else, just pay attention, like this is really yeah. good stuff, yeah. Yeah, you know, this, everything else up until this point. Is <laughs> yeah, it's all garbage, right? Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Um, no, it is really good though. Well, I appreciate that. And, and, yeah. and what's interesting about it is I, I remember kind of when it, it dawned on me, I was sitting in a class where they were talking about the different ways to raise money and you can do it as debt, right? And and debt uh, is one of those things, you know, when, when most amateur investors or uneducated investors think of using other people's money, probably what they think of is debt because that's all we were taught uh, about in, in school and in public mm -hmm. education, right? You, if you need money that you don't have, you go to the bank and you take out a loan. Well, that's debt. Problem with debt is for you as the borrower, it's the most dangerous kind of using other people's money. Um, you know, you're you're left holding the bag. You have to pay it back with interest, regardless of how your deal goes. Right? right. Your deal could go south, and 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 you're left holding the bag. In fact, just quick side note, that's the reason so many people lost money in the last major crash right. in 2008. Um, you know, people, a lot of amateurs were seeing the market climb and they're like, geez, any idiot could jump in and make money in the real estate market right now. And so all the idiots did. Right. And they went out and they they got they structured their their whole deal as debt. And let's just I mean, let's just use some simple numbers here. If um, you know, Let's say you bought a property for for two hundred and fifty thousand and you were going to put fifty thousand into fixing it up. So you went and borrowed three hundred grand thinking, you know what, we'll sell it for three fifty on the back. end right. and make fifty thousand bucks. Um, well, when 2008 hit and all of a sudden, you know, you had this sharp decline, a uh, uh, catastrophic decline in, in the value of homes, um, that maybe that house becomes worth 250. Right. Well, this is where people got stuck is they had borrowed 300 and now they've only, you know, now they can only sell the house for 250. Right. And there's no other exit strategies there. If right. you're leveraged to $300,000, you can't refinance it. Nobody's going to refinance, uh, more than the value of the home. Right. Right. Um, you can't rent it out because a, a lot of times, you know, hard money is six months. It's not, you know, you don't get it for 30 years. You get it for six months and that's it. Right. And if you don't pay it back, then they'll they'll foreclose on you and they'll take the house and you still have to pay back the money. That's how debt works. Right. So, um, so you know, those are kind of the cons of debt is 
it's it's extremely risky. I'd say one of the pros is it's cheap because the lender's not taking on as much risk as other ways they could they could give you money. Um, it's it tends to be a little bit cheaper. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, looking at now, so that's debt. Now, looking at another way that you could raise money is equity, and those are basically partnerships, right? Yeah. So this, I, I think, people need to understand. Uh, you you have debt and the equity. It's a you use a blend, right? So you guys mm-hmm. like. Yeah, think about your hard money lender lending a portion of it of the property. Okay. And I'll get into the ratios in just a second, but I want to kind of set the stage with what is debt, what is equity. Okay. So so equity, John, if you and I you know, I I found a deal and I have the crews all lined up and I've got everything going on and and it's gonna cost two hundred and fifty thousand to buy, fifty thousand to fix up, and you got three hundred grand burning a hole in your pocket. I say, Hey John, let's partner up fifty fifty. You bring the money, all all you know, I've got the expertise. Uh, and all the crews, and I found the deal. Let's partner up, and we'll go make it happen. And we'll split that fifty thousand two ways, right? We'll make twenty five right. each on the back end. That's expensive. I mean, that's that's a, a lot of you know a lot of that 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 cash that I'm giving away to you just so that I can borrow that money. Now, it's less risky for me. That's definitely one of the pros of equity. Is it's way less risky for me because we're partners. If if this ship sinks, we're both going down, right? Right. <laughs> Not just me. Um, so, so it is safer for me, a little more risky for you, but that's why it's more expensive. That's why you're getting more out of it than if you just had like a six or 7% interest rate, right? Right. Um, you're taking on more of that risk. You're jumping in the boat with me. So we have these two different types of, of, um, how we can use other people's money and there's pros and cons to both of them. Well, I was thinking through this and in the class I was sitting in back in maybe 2014, 2015, um, I was learning about these different types and I'm like, why can't, why isn't there a way where we can get the benefit from both of them and, and the cons kind of balance each other out. We're mitigating the risk. And so I started doing some kind of back of the, back of the napkin math and, and figuring out, okay, what would be the perfect ratio yeah. if we raised a certain amount in debt and a certain amount in equity. And the number I came up with was two thirds debt, one third equity. And that, I mean, that has held true for the last, geez, what has it been? Seven, six, seven years since I came up with the idea. And uh, I've had people come and try to poke holes in the strategy. I've tried to poke holes in the strategy. There's no safer way to structure a fix and flip deal than the debt equity blend. And here's why. Let's go back to that same example we had before, that $250,000 acquisition that we're going to put 50 grand into fixing up. Okay. If if we structure two thirds of that, so we need three hundred grand. Two thirds of that's two hundred thousand, right? So we can go to our same hard money guy, right? A same hard money lender, get that two hundred thousand, and then I come to you, John, and I say, Hey, John, how about you put, um, how about you put a hundred grand in, it and I'll give you a third equity since you're giving me a third of the money. Right. You say, Yeah, sounds good. Let's go do it. So you're you're kind of one foot in on the ship with me, right? Rather than putting all your eggs in one basket, right? So um, now we go do this deal and let's say 2008 happens again, right? We're expecting to sell it for 350, but somewhere along the way, while we're in this process of remodeling this, this property, the bottom falls out of the market and it's only worth 250. Right. Well, guess what? You and I, because of the equity that we have in the property, we only borrowed 200 grand. So even though it's only worth 250 now, you and I could go refinance this house together and turn it into a rental and wait out the market. It's always going to come back. People, look, the oldest investment market is real estate. I mean, it's it's been around for as long as humans have been around, 
right? right. It's only going to come back. Everybody needs a place to live. So we just wait it out and we collect rent along the way. Right. Until the, until the property value comes back to 350, we sell it. You make your 25, I make my 25. Worst case scenario, we both made more money. Right. Because we collect the cash flow along the way. Right. So, so you using that strategy, I've never varied from that. Using that strategy has kept me safe. And I'll tell you, I'd say maybe a four to five percent of the time, I've done well over a hundred flips, close, probably close to two hundred flips in my career. Um, and maybe four or five percent of the time, I've actually, for one reason or another, had to convert properties into rentals. But I've been able to do it because I had my exit strategy in place from the very beginning. Right. I didn't wait until something happened and then try to figure it out. Right. right. I had that that strategy in place from the beginning. Yeah, I. I... I think that's just a unique way to look at it. Most people do not. So I like it. So where, okay, so I'm a new investor. Where did you find your investors for debt and equity? I guess debt is a little easier, but how about the equity person? Yeah. Um, you know, it was, it was definitely more difficult at the beginning of my career. Um, now, yeah. I think, so real problem. quick, I want to talk on that. Everybody I talked to that has been doing it a minute. And this is, I say this more, not from discouragement, but encouragement to the new investors. Like, I know what you're going to say. You're going to say people throw money at you all the time. Like, you, it's true. You have more people want to work with you. That's because you're successful at what you do. You have a good reputation. So all that stuff means people are trying to throw more money at you than you actually want to prop. Well, maybe not more than you want to put out, but it's just the more money you got, sometimes the more you have to work at deploying all that stuff. That being I'll said, money people want to throw it, at me. it's so much easier is the point that I'm getting at than when you're new, when you're new, it's you sad. just have to stick with it. It's kind of like just the tenacity. I think of a few people that I know that have kind of cut bait on the being an investor. It's kind of like, if you're trying to get in shape and you don't get in shape in the first 30 days, do you quit? I mean, it's kind of like a, it's a process. You have to just stick with it. And the longer that you stick with it, the more success you'll see, the more success you see, the more opportunity you're going to get. It's, this just is why is we start what it with is. mindset. What's that? This is why we start with mindset. Yeah. You got to keep your head in the game long enough because when it hits, it will hit and you'll go through that process. And once you go through that process of doing a flip, like you reshape your brain, the way that you think everything, it's just a, anyways, a couple of thoughts on that. I want to share. So, you know, you and I, before the call, I think we talked about mindset quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, and where, then that's where, you know, you and I both do coaching. Uh, and so we talk to a lot of new investors and we, I think you and I are very qualified to talk to new investors because of how much we've seen. Uh, and the reason we start with mindset is because if you're going to go into this kind of dipping your toe in the water, you're not going to make it. This yeah. is this is way too specialized of a thing, way too intense of a career decision. I think it's the best choice you could ever make. You know? Yeah. But, but, you, but if you're going to make it, you've got to stick with it. Uh, and that's that's up here. You're the only one that decides to give up. I don't, you know, I, I've, ne I've never told any of my students to give up, <laughs> right? If anything, I tell them to keep going. Um, and I've kind of redefined failure. I, I talk to my students a lot about, you know, the definition of failure. I think in our society, um, especially with like public education, you know, it, we, we've received this instruction that, you know, if you set out for destination A 
and your outcome is B, C, D, E, or F, you failed. Well, that's that. I don't agree with that. I don't agree right. with that. I, I, I believe that if you set out for destination A and you see it through to the end and you get to, you know, instead of A, you get to B, C, D, E, or F, what you've done is you've learned. Right. And I talk about the five currencies of the wealthy in my book, um, money or money being last. Time is first. Time's a non-renewable currency. We never get it back. We spend it on something. It's never coming back. Right. That's why a job is such a stupid idea. Sell your sell your hours for 20 bucks. Like, right. We're never getting yeah. that. Time back. Yeah. You um, do a great job of breaking that down, too. Yeah. Well, thank you. Knowledge is second. Relationships is third. Credit is fourth and money's last. Yeah. Knowledge. If you set out to do something and you get a different outcome than you set out for, you've learned something. Right. Right. Back to that old, that famous cliche Thomas Edison quote, I learned a thousand ways not to, to, to build a light bulb. Right. There you go. Part of the education is just going out and getting your hands dirty. Right. right? So if you're taking action, you either win or you learn. Right. And winning really has to do with money, which is the least valuable currency. Learning is the second most valuable currency. So you're going to walk away successful either way as long as you continue to take action. The only way to fail in my book is to stop taking action. Yeah. And guys, just real quick to kind of bring that home, like what happens is people go and they they write up a deal or they write up two or five and they kind of don't shift the way that they're doing it. And so they're not necessarily learning th that part. So you got to, you got to keep your uh, open mind to the way that you guys are, are approaching the deal uh, and even getting into the deal or not getting into the deal. I'm trying to use yeah. this uh, specifically because this is where I, I think a lot of people get stuck is, oh, I did all these and I'm not getting the, the deal. Part of it is you have to take a step back, look and almost do a debrief of what you learned and why you didn't get that deal. And oftentimes what I found and what people need to learn is like, it's not like, it's not like checking off the box. I did my schoolwork. When you're an investor, you actually have to have some tenacity, think outside the box. And if you want it, you have to make it happen. Um, so that's another part of it. Like we can't make you want to do the deal. And I think um, from a psychological level standpoint, getting in that deal is very difficult from a mindset because you kind of don't want the deal. You want it, yeah, but sure. you don't want the deal. And what I see people do is they do these half kind of, mm, oh, you know, someone, someone beat me to it. Well, you were the first one to look at it and you kicked the tires until someone else jumped in and then you wanted it, right? Yeah. So taking a look at that, and so if you ended up, you shot for A, you ended up with B in that scenario, be honest with yourself about your self analysis after and learn from it and then know like, all right, I'm going to continue doing this. And Hey, it may take you guys 10, 20, 50 deals or 50 offers before you get a deal. You yeah. will get a deal. If you stick with the process, right? You will let that you conquer that. Don't let it conquer you. Like I can't even tell you how many deals uh, I see some people do, some people get lucky, they get one right off the bat. Some have to do 50 or 100. It is what it is. I think partially it's your network a little bit. It's partially that you don't want the deal. But once you're in the deal and you make it happen, 
I, you, the second, the third, the fourth, they all start to happen so a lot much. faster. Yeah. Like it's just getting your foot in that deal. But anyway, so that's where I, I like the approach and what you're talking about. Shoot for A if you end up with B, C, whatever. You could end up wholesaling a deal. It doesn't, yeah. anyways, build the yeah. ship and fly it a little bit is kind of what I'm hearing too. Like, yeah, Well, and, and, and that's just it. I mean, you, you have to go. Analysis paralysis will kill you. Right. Standing still is a liability. Moving is an asset, right? right. As long as you're going in the direction, it doesn't matter what direction you're going in, right? Just right. go. Um, and, and, you know, interesting, because one of the things that you said that, that popped into my mind is I, uh, of the most successful people that I know, and you're included in this, John, oh, uh, <laughs> the most successful people I know are also the most grateful and the most coachable. Those, those two traits are, are true of, uh, of any successful people I know is, is I guess what I'm trying to say. And what, and what that means is it goes back to that mindset thing of, you know, it, learn from your mistakes. Be, look, fail fast, but, but learn from it and use it. Turn it into a currency. Turn it into something that can make you money in the future. And then find that gratitude because right. the people that get pissed off and, and mm -hmm. you know, they're like, well, geez, I went out and did a deal and, you know, I... I thought I was going to make a hundred grand and it was break even. I wasted my, my time working with you, John, you know, and they, they want to blame you for it. Like you, you know, sabotage their deal. Uh, you know, those, those are the people that stop and they, they go get a job instead. They go get two jobs to pay their bills instead. When, if you can have an attitude of gratitude and look at the situation, say, and, and, and extract whatever it is you can be grateful for out of it. Um, that's going to turn it into a positive which in this case is a learning experience that you can take and make money off of later. This is real estate's just a, a vehicle in my opinion. And you know, for someone like you, you get to work with people and help manage them up and open up their, their heads a little bit more, their dream spaces and help them create a, you know, financial independence, but also reshape the way that they think, which is one of those gifts that I, we talked about earlier is helping people reach that, financial freedom or residual income, all of this leads to success that they see in their, in, in their life. And then that's kind of like they could build off of it. It's a, it's a gr very gratifying, um, spot to be in. That being said though, you're, you're a hundred percent right. People needing to extract the, and that goes for everything in our lives. It goes for everything, whether it's a relationship, um, something, you know, who knows what it, it could be something very basic, but showing gratitude in your day to day living for the things that we have. We're very blessed in general with with uh, living in this country, I think, and having the opportunities. But so many people focus in on the negative. It's it's horrible. I know just speaking for myself, if I have an issue, whether it's on a property or personally, and I focus so much on it and I get so I, I call it constricted because I get tight chested almost. And it's like this problem, you know, yeah. where I just, if I take a step back and, and just breathe, right. Relax and just say, I'm looking at this differently. Like help me look at this in a different light. That's where I found the opportunities in, in different asset classes, like buying a building like this and turning it into multifamily or, you know, uh, office to executive suites or whatever it is, like it usually I, I'm trying to look at that asset differently, right? So 
uh, or that opportunity, which just back to your point about, you know, looking at um, what to be grateful for in those opportunities, extracting the positive, you could do it along the way also. And there's, there's no victims, we, you know, there's just no victims. In the scenario that you have, like if someone just broke even, you got the experience. You can't, you can't buy that experience, right? So you had to go through and do that hard work and no one could take that from you. No one could take it from you. Now you know what to build on and what to do better the next time. So we sometimes work with people that, you know, they've lost money on flips prior to working with us and uh, going through with them and helping them understand and maybe even understanding the budget part and timelines and managing people. And typically what we found is they bought a deal that wasn't a deal, right? Because that's yeah. where a lot of your money's made, if not most of it is made on You got to be willing to walk away. Yeah. And I've touched on this several times. The, the biggest thing, and you guys have heard me say it before, the number one rule I learned in real estate was never become emotionally attached to that asset, especially when you're buying it. If you chase the deal, you're probably not going to make money. There's a high likelihood that you'll lose money, actually. Um, so the good deals the are the ones where you don't have to figure out how to make the numbers work. They just work. Yeah, yeah where you're going back through erasing it. Maybe I'll get this much <laughs> yeah. money. Maybe I'll cost... a little bit over here. Yeah. And if I got my agent not to take a commission over here, then it's, it's a deal. Exactly. So, yeah, I'm sorry. I kind of went off on that a little bit. No, no, you're good. You're yeah. good. I think the question was, um, how do newbies get money from, from other people? Yeah, and with bad credit, right? So we touched yeah. on, I, one follows the other. I always say, and go ahead. I'm going to let you continue to go. Yeah, no. So, well, I think the last part of that, because I talked about how I structure it, but then you asked the question and we kind of took a left turn. It was my fault. Sorry. Um, but yeah, but sure the question was, was how do these newbies get uh, how do these newbies get get people to lend money to them? And it is hard. I mean, it's it's definitely hard. I had a way harder time with it early on in my career than I did now. In fact, it's something that I had to focus on almost more than anything else. Was where am I going to get the money from? Right. Um, I found my my formula that I kind of developed uh, that worked for me in the first couple of years of my career was just talk about what you do. When people would, I got to a point where I was doing both. I was working my website job and investing in real estate in the so, on the side. Um, but I got to the point where if people would ask me, uh, you know, what do you do for a living? I wouldn't say I sell websites. I would say I'm a real estate investor, even though that was my part-time gig, right? right? Because I knew there was more benefit from me saying that to somebody that maybe could be like, well, I've always wanted to do that. And I got a hundred grand sitting in the bank. What, you know, yeah. you partner up. You know, and that's that's literally how it happens. Right. So bring it up in, in in casual conversation. When when people ask you what you do, don't tell them that you're a janitor. Don't tell them you're a bus driver. Don't tell them you're a school teacher. That doesn't matter. They're 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 not going to help you with that information. But if you tell them that you're a real estate investor, you're going to get people say, "I've always wanted to do that." Yeah. And then that's a perfect that's a perfect deal. Yeah. Oh, you have? Well, then let's go do it. Right. You got some money. Let's go play, you know, bring some of your friends along. We'll all go do a deal together. Right. And that's that's literally how I funded my first deal um, was I was at a I was at a church uh, uh, like a dinner thing. And um, a friend of mine brought a friend of his from out of state 
and uh, I was sitting across from the guy. We were talking. I asked him what he did. Uh, he said, I'm an electrical engineer or something like that. And uh, he said, well, what do you do? I said, I'm a real estate investor. And he said those magic words, right? I've always wanted to do that. And I said, well, there's opportunity because how I do it is I partner with people and use their money and we go get it done. Yeah. So, you know, and then the conversation went from there and he jumped in on that first deal. That's awesome. Yeah. And I, here's another thing for the uh, newbie uh, people that are getting involved. I, I, for years, gave away half of my deal to or deals to my mentor. So and people go, oh, my gosh, would would you do that? I mean, are you upset about it? Not at all. Like, it's how I learned. Um, yeah, it's a, it mitigated risk, but it also what it did was I was uh, earning and learning at the same time, right? Until at some point it was like didn't make sense anymore. But I'm I'm forever grateful for that uh, relationship. It was eight years of you know my twenties basically is when we did business together. So it was great getting into it and working with him, and and uh, we did very well together. And I, you know they were all long term holds. It was basically the Burr strategy before there was Burr, right? There were some flips in there too. But anyways, that was, uh, that's how we got started. But my point being is I gave away 50%. And I know, you know, as the longer you're in this, the more you could dictate and control the deal. But in the beginning, I get sometimes people say, you know, I'm not going to do it because I'm not going to give up that percentage. So they pass on the deal. I want you guys to also know, like, if opportunities come up like that, like, part of something's better than all or nothing. If someone else is mitigating the entire risk and willing to invest in you, that says a lot, too. And if you have that deal under contract, I think, you know, I think you do the deal. As long as the profit margin's decent and whatever fits all these other criterias, you're you're learning, you're earning, you're, you're networking, you're getting to know your tradespeople, you're... Um, you know, architect, whatever you're, you're out there doing the stuff that people dream about doing. And it's, it's a great opportunity to be in and you can't pay for that. You actually have to get in the field and do it. So you get your hands dirty. Yeah. You know, I, I think it, that's a, a great indicator of mine of where people's mindset is too. I mean, this is one of the first things I talk about in my book is the wealthy have an abundant mindset. Right. There's plenty of money. There's plenty of money and there's a lot of ways to earn it. And, and that's the easy part, right? You get all those other currencies that I talked about in order and the yeah. money will just come. Um, but, but somebody who says, especially someone new that's never done a deal before and they're like, well, why would I partner with you when I could go take my money and do my own deal? Um, that shows a scarcity mindset. That, that right. shows me that they literally think that there's one deal out there and they're going to get it and I'm not, right? Which is a, a terrible way to think because then there's never enough. There's right. not enough money. And if you believe that there's not enough money, then that creates a vacuum of money you can't earn. Right. Right. So, yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, there's, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of ways to look at it. And I think, again, that tight chestedness and narrow sighted has never benefited me. Whenever I'm able to take a second, take a step back and look, usually I see the opportunity and an opportunity like that. I would think, you know, if you were newer, like, Hey, I could do this. And if I do it right, I could probably do one right after, or even you get good at this. You like, you have 11 working at a time. 
you want to kind of create that. So if you're half of this one, three quarters of this one, half, whatever, you're, you're earning. Uh, and then you can start to, to dictate more about how the deal structure is. I mean, there's deals that I do and we do long-term holds on commercial and I don't bring anything financially, but I bring finding and repositioning and basically GCing it and keeping half the deal, right? So, um, but I couldn't do that necessarily when I first got started. I mean, I think you could keep 25. Anyways, I'm getting off uh, on a totally different subject, but the longer you do it, the more creative you could get, the systems you put in place uh, to maximize your time, energy, and effort, right? So you got to get started. You got to get in the game. Yeah. I, I think, you know, I've never not parted, partnered on a fix and flip. I've always shared the, the profit with somebody um, because it allows me to do more. Like if I was um, not more, even, I'm not kidding. It's the same. I've, exactly the same. Yeah. Like exactly yeah, the same. But, yeah. but, but you bring up a good point and that is, you partner at the beginning for different reasons than you than you partner later on in your career, right? And and you you want to dictate the terms, fine. But a, a good a good sign of when it's okay for you to do that is when people start bringing them to you. Right. And you don't have to go out and find them. When right. people start bringing you deals and bringing you money, there's your sign. You can start you can start calling the shots, right? Um, but up until that point, you're learning how to become that badass. Right. Yep. I like it. Well, hey, uh, we're we're right at an hour, so I want to make sure and be uh, aware of the time for you. I know you got stuff to do. Also, I I'm gonna tell you. I think we have to come back and we have to talk about the banking a little bit more. There's a few different things I'd like to touch on. I am gonna send a couple links out, you guys, uh, in this. Uh, and Mitch, people want to get hold of you. How did they get hold of you? Best ways is through my YouTube channel. Um, actually, both the YouTube channels, uh, Flippin' Sexy Real Estate and Flippin' Sexy Real Estate Education. Uh, our handle on social media is at Flippin' Sexy RE. Um, so you can get a hold of us really any of those ways. You have a website too, though, right? I do, MitchANelson.com. Okay, MitchANelson.com. And then your book, one more time Mindset's a Millionaire. It's available on that? Amazon. It's on Amazon. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Well, hey, I appreciate you coming on today and sharing your knowledge with everybody. Uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure, you know, a lot of people will get a lot out of this one. I really, I mean, every time I talk to you, it's, it's great. I, I've learned a lot from you. So I appreciate you coming on and sharing today. And yeah, looking forward to chatting more with you later. And yeah, hopefully we get to work together soon. Now that, uh, yeah, we, well, we need to. I don't know what, why are you hiding from me? I'm, I'm ready. Let's go. Okay. All right. All right. Hey, thanks again. Appreciate <laughs> Thank the time. You, All right. We'll chat with you soon.